Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this is a weekly show that brings you the most interesting content in InfoSec, technology, and humans. The idea is to curate around three to five hours of weekly reading into a 15 to 30 minute summary. The goal is to have you caught up on current events, tell you about the best content from around the web, and hopefully give you something to think about as well. You can get the companion newsletter with all the show notes and links at danielmesor.com newsletter. All right, welcome to episode 72. I'm going to start off today by answering a question that I've got a few times about how long it takes to build the podcast and what sort of sources go into it. So I have a list of sources that I go through because uh, sometimes I forget them if I don't have them organized. So I start off with my reading list, which is uh, it's uh, the Safari reading list. So I basically send links as I'm reading throughout the week. I send links into this list and uh, collect them there. So that's the first thing I parse. That usually takes one or two hours to parse all those links to read every story and decide what to put into the podcast and the newsletter. Uh, I then go through Feedly again. So I'm reading Feedly throughout the week and sending links to that first list. But then I go through Feedly again uh, on Sunday, Uh, usually start in the late morning or early afternoon. So I go through that again. That takes a couple of hours, uh, sometimes an hour to depending to go through all my feeds and parse that again. And then throughout the week, it's probably one or two hours in the evenings or very early in the morning. So now we're already up to around five or six hours. Um, and then another few hours on Saturday or on Sunday, sometimes on Saturday as well. Uh, then the other thing I do on Sunday is I look at the uh, Security Dici website, which is a really cool summary. Uh, I've posted a few times on Twitter. I look at uh, Nuzzle newsletters, especially one from Andre uh, Gironda, who's a buddy of mine. He puts out really good links on his Nuzzle newsletter. Um, I parse different podcasts that I listen to throughout the week, Uh, books I'm reading, uh, blogs I've written. Those usually only go in the ideas section and uh, anything I've liked on Twitter. So each one of those could take quite some time, but the, but the one that takes the most time is the reading list and Feedly. And um, the podcasts and the newsletters, they, they seem to be growing. The size of the content is just, I, I'm just adding more and more links, so I'm not sure how I'm gonna trim that down because I'm going from hundreds and hundreds of stories to, you know, a couple dozen. Um, and I'm finding it rewarding. It's just that it's getting, sometimes it gets, I don't know, sometimes it's five or 10 hours just to parse the content and uh, get it down. But anyway, that, that's a little bit about the methodology and the sources that I use. And uh, now we're going to go ahead and get into InfoSec news for the week. So uh, Apple fixed 224 vulnerabilities across macOS, iOS, and Safari. 
this week. If you haven't upgraded, you probably should. A researcher named Raphael Scheel has found a way to hack a bunch of smart TVs remotely. So not having to plug in or do anything like that. Um, not having to do like USB access or anything. This is over the air. There's a signal protocol called DVB and specifically DVB-T for terrestrial. It's basically a, um, it's an RF wave. And if you can overpower the transmitter that, uh, if you could basically be the most powerful DVB-T signal, then you can send these, uh, these um, commands through to the, uh, to like tons of smart TVs, like 85% of smart TVs, according to this study. So basically you can send to the smart TV, you can send commands to issue web requests. And what they've done is found a bunch of browser exploits. But the first part of it was, yeah, we can make, you know, a browser break and we can root the machine if we can control the browser, but it's not very cool because who uses a browser on a smart TV? So that's why they did the second piece, which is this DVB-T signal, which you can force a browser request. So you basically force it to your own website, which you control, you serve the malware, and it, um, it roots the box. You get full control over, like, like I said, something like 85% of smart TVs. Um, and even if it's not quite that high, well, you know, whatever the number is, it's a um, very high percentage of uh, existing smart TVs, including very new ones that have just come out. So really cool hack by this uh, researcher, Raphael Scheel. Love the fact that it's remote and it's forcing outbound requests, which gives you full root access to the device. It, it actually drops you into a user shell, but he said that the state of smart TV OSs um, on Linux is usually so bad that privilege escalation to get to root is usually pretty trivial. So really cool research there. Uh, facial recognition on the new Samsung S8 can be tricked using nothing more than just a photo. I feel like a lot of these techniques, you know, voice, um, face recognition, even the fingerprint, a lot of these things can be broken. So as I've been talking about for years now, the answer to this bio thing is actually a composite, right? We're going to need to be capturing tons of bio data, collapsing that down into a composite stream and using that for auth because you can't really trust any one thing, right? If it's like your gait or it's voice or it's typing uh, signature or whatever, all those can either be spoofed or when you have some sort of problem that messes up that one factor, now you have a, uh, a reset problem where you have to do an alternate way of authenticating, which is likely to be a backdoor and really easy to get into. So I think that composite is and hybrid is really the only path forward. A bot campaign is targeting gift cards from about a thousand different websites, including some really big brands. Basically figured out the account number format for a bunch of these things, and they're just brute forcing the numbers. 
And when it finds valid ones with balances, it uses them to buy things. And actually this is becoming a big way uh, for scams and uh, criminals to, um, to, to really exchange money, right? It's like money laundering. It's like, it's almost like Bitcoin, but less overhead. Uh, so a lot of scams are actually forcing people to buy gift cards and send them to you. So it's like they'll do a scam against you, trick you into something in like some sort of uh, physical exchange or online exchange or whatever. And they're like, oh yeah, so the mover's going to show up and they're going to do this or that. And they have a check for $10,000, um, but they have to wait for a second to get it, to get it cashed. So if you could just go buy a bunch of gift cards and give them to him, then uh, he'll give you the check. And then of course the check bounces or whatever. But this, uh, this gift card thing, it's becoming the currency of choice along with Bitcoin for a lot of cybercrime or just crime in general. Researchers have found a way to imperceptibly alter images so that they are no longer recognizable by machine learning. I wrote here, Tom meet Jerry, cat and mouse game. Expect this type of cat and mouse to become increasingly common. And there will soon be counters to that counter, of course, because you know, you'll adjust, uh, the algorithms will adjust to account for that. But of course, that will be adjusted to as well. So really exciting, but kind of scary that it's this easy to trick the algorithms. The FBI is warning people that attackers are targeting medical and dental business FTP servers looking for sensitive data. So a lot of them are just anonymous, unpatched, really nasty FTP servers. And uh, it's pretty common for companies to just dump whatever there and tell their customers or partners to go and collect the data there. So what attackers are doing is just uh, scripting up a list of companies, a list of, you know, a script that looks for FTP servers and then uh, downloads whatever they find. I think I talked about this in a couple of other places. I talked about it in my RSA talk where when you have high sensitivity combined with low security expertise, this is the type of thing that happens. And that's definitely the case for healthcare. Developers on GitHub have been targeted in a phishing campaign that tries to distribute a PowerShell-based Trojan named Dimni. Basically, they're targeting primarily like open source developers, I think is kind of a big focus, but they're just looking for people for whatever reason who have active GitHub accounts. An NAID study of 250 devices in secondhand markets, like I'm thinking like eBay or whatever. I didn't, I didn't see that specifically, but that's what comes to mind. Found that 40% of them had PII still on them when they were purchased from the secondhand market. Definitely make sure deprovisioning is part of your data protection strategy. People always talk about supply chain all the way to production, but do not forget to uh, 
clean stuff up before you get rid of it. Skype is evidently pushing fake flash update ads that point to ransomware. Skype has been nasty for me recently. Um, a bunch of my friends have been compromised. <clears throat> Their accounts have been hacked. So I'm getting like porn links. I've seen a couple of these flash update ads, just really nasty stuff. 1.4 billion data records were exposed in 2016 breaches, which was an 86% increase over 2015. It's fairly nasty. Germany has created a separate military group for cybersecurity. <clears throat> uh, they've been seeing a massive amount of supposedly Russian-based attacks since the beginning of 2017, something like, if I remember the number, like 240,000 attacks, a lot of which are supposedly Russian. Um, if you guys aren't aware, there's a, uh, basically what Russia did to the U.S., there's a lot of belief in the industry that this exact same thing is happening now against uh, Europe. So Germany, France, uh, some Scandinavian countries are going to have elections soon. And basically what Russia was doing with us <clears throat> um, is going to continue. It's information warfare. It's going to continue it all throughout Europe, right? So this appears to be part of that, a defense against it. The new policies around laptops on flights might force companies to strengthen their policies on endpoint, endpoint data security. I'd also be a bit cautious about what people are kind of, what some of these airlines are doing as a response. They're saying, look, you can't take your laptop on board. You have to put it in cargo hold. But we're going to give you these laptops so you can work on them. I'm like, well, yeah. So they're going to give you a random laptop. And they're like, yeah, just go ahead and log in all your stuff and log in your corporate email. And, you know, don't worry, we'll clean it up afterwards. I would uh, be very cautious about that. Of course, anyone listening to this probably already is, but I guess tell your loved ones not to, uh, not to fall for that or at least be very, very careful if you do do something like that. Mal uh, VMware has patched some nasty arbitrary code execution bugs. So I think these are the ones that were found in um, Cansec West, the pwn to own uh, code, code execution bugs in ESX and Fusion products. So if you have any of those, you should definitely update. Wells Fargo is deploying Apple Pay based ATMs later this year. I'm personally just happy to do anything that doesn't involve a magnetic stripe. I think NFC based, especially Apple Pay, which um, I understand to be very secure, but <clears throat> um, I think any NFC type uh, system, well, not any, but most seem to, uh, have a lot more security built in than the uh, than the magnetic uh, card system. So looking forward to that. I really just want to see Apple Pay everywhere and Android Pay and, and basically any of these. I think they're fantastic. Researchers 
have egress data from a network using a scanner and a drone mounted laser. I think these egress technique things are really cool. Uh, the thing that bothers me is you have to have malware on the device first, right? That's always a step that's buried like 17 paragraphs into the article. But it's like, once you have malware on the network, um, on the scanner, well, then you could shine light at it and it will, uh, or it can, you can make it shine light as well. So you can send data in, you can get data out or whatever, but it, it, and oftentimes it's like, uh, he, uh, spinning up a fan and using temperature to detect the temperature difference. Um, and these are usually really low bandwidth, right? Cause it, they're sending zeros and ones and like temperature raises or reductions. And in this case in flashing lights, they said they could also hack like a smart light bulb to flash as well. The other thing that was cool about this is you can go through curtains, right? As long as you could get light in and out, get enough to pass that one or zero, you could basically egress data. And this uh, particular team out of Israel is focused specifically on um, air gapped security bypass, which uh, I thought was really cool. But yeah, first step is always having malware on the system. Um, and I don't know. I, I still think it's cool, but how many, how many things, how many networks are there where it's easy to get malware on a system inside, but it's not easy to egress out. Those seem to go hand in hand. And uh, most companies are so bad at egress. I would say even worse at egress than endpoint security management. So um, limited value here. It's still very cool, fantastic research, but um, I don't know. I, I just see a sort of a, a limitation there. OpenDNS, which is Cisco, has released a tool called DNS Crypt to encrypt all your DNS queries from you to OpenDNS. This is very cool. Uh, I think this is very much in line or timed to be in conjunction with this, this whole thing with the ISPs and uh, selling your data. And DNS is unencrypted by default. And they're saying, well, you're going to be sending sensitive stuff to us potentially. And uh, we want it to be secure. So I, I think that's a good step. It'd be cool if it was kind of more universal, but at least OpenDNS is doing it. Someone popped the McDonald's Canada jobs website and stole around 100,000 applicants PII. All right, technology news. Amazon Connect is a Amazon cloud-based contact center that uses Alexa technologies to help businesses run a successful support function. So imagine, you know, Lex is the, uh, is the NLP and voice recognition system that uh, Alexa uses. And they're now selling a customer support function based around this technology. I feel like if Amazon walks anywhere near your business model, you should be afraid. That's, that's what I feel like. They're just so crazy good at just getting into stuff, trying. And their little half-hearted, barely tried a little bit, just does damage 
Like it's powerful. Anyway, uh, got a machine learning technology here that can identify a handgun being held in kind of any position and in extremely low quality images. The example was, uh, what's his name? Uh, home slice British dude pointing a gun at, uh, at the, uh, bad MF in Pulp Fiction, uh, Sam Jackson, um, or maybe Sam Jackson was pointing at him. I can't remember which one it was at the particular time, but it was uh, really bad lighting. It was like a screenshot of a YouTube video. So you could barely tell because of the background and everything, but the machine learning found the gun and said, yes, someone is pointing a gun at someone else. And uh, this got me thinking, I actually have a chapter in the book about it where the future of this is really screens and forget cameras, it's image sensors connected to extremely powerful, constantly updated machine learning algorithms. And basically it's like Terminator vision, right? But way better. So anytime that a computer is looking at a situation, it could tell you with, with what level of depth, um, it could tell you very clearly what's going on in that scene, right? And different layers of filters could tell you, um, you know, this is a fight. This is nature. This is a butterfly. This is a monarch butterfly. These two bears are in, they, they are in mating season or, um, you know, that's a particular type of salmon in this water. Um, this is a fly fisherman rather than a lure fisherman, like whatever. And especially if it's like a big scene, it, it, you can have like a potential for terrorism rating or whatever. You think of all the different factors that can be going into this and it wouldn't be one algorithm. It would be like stacked algorithms, right? Cause it's just an image sensor. So imagine, 15,000 different top end best algorithms pointed at an image sensor and each one of them are doing what it is particularly good at. And then the UI is all focused on uh, obviously the experience, but it's showing you the best data, the, the, the data it thinks is you want to see the most, right? And that usually has to do with safety and, and things like that. So, um, it might identify this guy is likely to be a terrorist. This guy is likely to start a fight in this bar or whatever. But that that's the lens that I think we need to be seeing all this machine learning stuff in, especially when it's like holding a weapon or whatever. It's going to be about police. This is going to be one of the first things, police and military, but mostly police. Walking up to a scene, there's a lot of action this person's crying, this person's yelling or whatever. And in addition to the officer doing their own analysis, the machine learning is going to be like, this person's about to hit you. This person's about to grab your gun. This person's about to do whatever. And um, obviously there's some, a lot of danger there. You could do it wrong. You know, you got computers making decisions and now the cop's going to do something as a result. I keep activating... Alexa. Um, but so you have to be careful, right? You can't just take 
what what the algorithm says. But imagine instead of you looking through your glasses, you've got a team of 20,000 of the best cops in the world looking through your glasses, right? And the better the algorithms get, the, the more crazy those numbers get. And it just bypasses, I mean, or, or exceeds anything humans could do um, at some point. And, and it won't be too long, I don't think, you know, five to 20 years, who knows. But that's the way I like to think of the world is image sensors combined with algorithms showing you truth um, or different layers of truth um, in, in different ways. Um, all right, where was I? Uber is using subtle psychological manipulation to make drivers do what they want using the driver app. So, uh, <laughs> there's a list of these things, but one of them is starting your next job, uh, before your last one ends or pulling you into areas where you're making a lot of money or telling you, are you sure you want to quit because people are paying extra money right now? Or, um, you know, surge pricing is active and you could make a lot of money and you're close to your goal. So they're doing these little, these little tricks are not necessarily malicious, but they're a little bit nasty because they are messing with the minds of, uh, of the drivers. Now they're quick to point out that, look, you could still just hit the quit button. Like it's up to you, but, uh, there's a good, uh, New York times article on how they're doing those little influences. A new traffic routing algorithm is aiming to defeat traffic jams and supposedly only requires 10% of vehicles to be autonomous. Google has consolidated all of its open source projects under a new website. That's uh, progress. Facebook has launched a location sharing feature called Live Location. It works within Messenger and it makes it easier to coordinate with someone while you're talking to them. And evidently it times out within 60 minutes. Seems uh, pretty cool. I, I think every Messenger feature really does need this. Or ideally, if it's close-knit friends, right? Secret. Secret doesn't need this. <laughs> Let's be clear about that. Cisco is being pressured to decouple their networking software from their high-end hardware. So interesting. I just read this. It's uh, basically you'll be able to get their software on lower end, more commodity hardware. And evidently the uh, market is asking for that. Apple has hired a veteran YouTube executive to enhance their videos game. Researchers are building AI to replace video game testers. I got a buddy who uh, worked at Netflix for a while, and one of his jobs was training. Well, first he was uh, first he was marking things inside of Netflix streams, 
And then his job became training an AI to do it. So uh, he was he was literally training a model, and and being uh, first supervised learning, and being the uh, the yes or no vote, which I thought was interesting. The U.S. military is experimenting with using brain simulate stimulation to improve performance in soldiers, and the improvements have been across like focus, learning, intelligence, and even strength and stamina. So I heard about this. One was involved Navy SEALs, and one was like sharpshooters, and one was something else. I think this article, they were talking about this one particular task. If you have a soldier doing it, they would get tired after like 20 minutes. Like fatigue sets in and performance just like massively drops. Well, they put them in this this piece of headgear and they stimulate the brain uh, for a small amount of time with some light current or whatever. And they could just do the thing for 20 hours instead of, instead of 20 minutes. I'm like, that's 60X. That's, that's insane. And if, you know, it starts with the military, kind of like porn in that way, leads the way. So, uh, you know, when does that come into the mainstream? In fact, it already is. There's a bunch of Reddit subreddits around, uh, using this kind of stuff. I got a buddy down in the South Bay who, uh, is into this stuff as well. His name's Cash. But, um, yeah, I, I can't wait to see, uh, some of this stuff. Combine that with nootropics, and then you got this, you know, stimulation of the brain from outside the skull with an inexpensive piece of headgear. I think it's very cool. Um, obviously, some dangers for both the uh, nootropics and the headgear, but a lot of promise as well. I can't wait to get to see it get more standardized and legitimized. A new material absorbs 99.96% of light. It was crazy. They put it on a sphere and they moved it across like a white and then a black surface. And when it got over the black surface, it just disappeared. And when it came over the white surface, it looked like a completely two-dimensional disc, even though it was a sphere. Stuff was cool. I'm going to get some. Netflix might pay people to translate subtitles using the crowd in exciting new ways. Um, you want to get into this game soon before computers can do it better. Desperate farmers are installing hacked Ukrainian firmware on their John Deere tractors. Evidently, getting your tractor serviced uh, has all sorts of drama. You basically go in and... Uh, you know, different parts require like uh, authorization to have it be part, join the firmware and be part of the tractor. And evidently it's expensive and a big headache and, and hard to get your tractor to the place that it needs to be to get this work done, even if you could pay. And uh, so what they're doing is they're just, they're just unlocking the whole thing. They're, they're hacking their tractor and making it so you can add whatever parts. And uh, evidently a lot of the firmware is Ukrainian. <clears throat> Pretty cool. Also a little bit scary if you've got blades and stuff. 
on these things. Uh, so right after my influencer piece last week, where I talked about the rise of the influencer, Amazon launched this week an exclusive influencer affiliate program. So evidently you have to have some kind of follower count. Uh, uh, I don't know what network, if that's YouTube or Twitch or <clears throat> Twitter or whatever, but you have to have some amount of followers and you can sell products on Amazon. Uh, your favorite products and get some kind of cut. Um, I'm imagining it's a much greater cut than a regular affiliate program uh, because it's so exclusive, but interesting that they're uh, dabbling in this. And once again, because they are, you should be frightened. Of course, they own Twitch. I don't know how many people know that, but Amazon bought Twitch a while back. So they're definitely playing in this influencer space. Human news. Harvard Business Review reminds us that reading makes people successful. And it gives us some advice on how to read more. It's got like five or six good tips in here. I recommend checking it out. Uh, the director of the fifth element and La Femme Nikita and the professionals coming out with a new sci-fi film called Valerian and the city of a thousand planets. And this is after like 10 years of trying to get this movie done. I think I saw a trailer for this and I was like, Oh, that looks cool. But now that I know it's this guy who's putting it out, I'm definitely going to be watching that. The national Bureau of economic research said that between 1990 and 2007, when one or more industrial robots were introduced into the workforce, it led to the elimination of 6.2 human jobs in the local area. So one robot, six human jobs. Those are uh, some crazy numbers. A 3,800-year-old intact and untouched tomb has been found in Egypt, complete with pottery, wooden models, mummies, of course, and uh, other scenes from daily life. A Japanese man has become the first person to receive reprogrammed stem cells from another person. And I believe this was related to macular degeneration. The number of people using heroin in the United States has increased by 5x in the last decade. That's cheery. Should have put that in the middle instead of ending with it. Goodness. Ideas. The Bottom Turtle of Cloud Secret Management. This was a fantastic talk at Enigma, <clears throat> which uh, I had in my queue to come back to, and I finally got back to it. But um, this guy named Ian Haken, or Haken of Netflix did an amazing talk on how to bootstrap secret management and trust inside of a large scalable cloud infrastructure. So basically the problem is how do you store secrets safely? How do you retrieve secrets safely on a brand new box? Well, you check them out. Well, where do you check them out from you from a secret server? Well, where do they get them from? Right? So you have this turtle problem where just 
It's another turtle underneath. And you ask another question, well, where do they get it? And how do they secure it? And it's like another one under them. And as, as he describes, it's turtles all the way down. And ultimately the problem is you need to authenticate, identify and authenticate a box so that someone could be confident in giving you secrets. That's what <clears throat> the turtle stack ends up needing to stand on is proof of identity. So what he did, and I think he pointed to some previous research as well, is that if you're on AWS or a similar system, a similar platform, you can get the proof of identity from AWS. And what happens is AWS ends up bootstrapping your entire trust infrastructure because it can give you proof that this box, this instance is exactly what Amazon says it is. And from that, that becomes the bottom bedrock. Then you could receive secrets from a secret server, stand up, you know, whatever you need, whatever that application needs and all the secrets of the application needs. And it even works if you need a new secret server, right? So if you have at least one, you can stand up a new secret server, have Amazon uh, prove to you that it is one. So the way it works is when a new instance comes up, you call the Amazon API that's built in that uh, will tell you the identity of this instance. And it sends you a signed, an AWS signed document that says exactly what this instance is, its ID, its role, whatever. And you could then pass that to the secret server. And the secret server can say, okay, well, I know it's you because Amazon said it's you. So here's, here's the secrets that you're supposed to get. So this, I believe this talk needs to be heard by like way more people. It didn't have very many views. Um, this is just, I, I think it's so foundational to a good solid cloud infrastructure to be able to manage trust in a scalable way. I think the talk was fantastic and uh, you should check out the link. AI and synthetic mind creation. This is a piece that I did basically saying that Achieving immortality or avoiding death is like the most important human problem. And it's about to become even more important because a lot of our other problems are going away. And uh, AI is good at tweaking things and trying things and, you know, improving things until they get to where, you know, a level of quality that we desire. And it seems to me like these are going to merge together. So, uh, there was a Black Mirror episode that talked about this, um, which I, I found out after I had written a bunch of stuff about it. But basically, uh, imagine parsing, imagine capturing everything you've written, everything you've said, everything people have heard you say, um, books everybody knows you read or whatever, every single input, uh, plus your genome. So it has your genome. It has a record of your environment, things you were exposed to or whatever. So basically these AIs will be responsible for collecting data about you before you physically die. 
And you will pay a whole bunch of money and you will be confident that when you die, when you drink this wine to kill your physical body, you, this new version of you, will wake up and it will be mostly you. And a big part of this pitch will be, you know what, when you go to sleep every night, you're actually not you when you wake up. A bunch of your cells die, a bunch of new cells have formed. You're actually just mostly you. And over a year, you're much less you. And over 10 years, you're hardly recognizable. So it's all an illusion anyway. So yes, this AI, after you're dead, it's going to wake up a few minutes later. And guess what? You will have avoided death because you will have transferred into this new system. Um, and that's going to make a lot of people happy to drink the wine. You know, you're 148 and, you know, everything on you stinks and, you know, you're just brittle and sad and it hurts to pee. And you're like, yeah, sign me up for this. And it's, you know, $80 million or whatever by that time in, in those dollars. But you pay your money. It pulls all this data in. And maybe there's, there's even a validation phase where like someone who knows you goes and talks to the new thing before you talk to it. You, you don't talk to it at all. I, I think in a lot of cases, you won't want to talk to it because then it'll be like, hold on. That's, that's a thing that is separate from me, which means I don't want to drink the wine because that's not me if I'm still here. So the pitch has to be, it doesn't become you until you're dead because we're somehow transferring you into it, right? It has to be a singular transfer. Other, otherwise, you just won't feel good about it. This is a point my buddy Kundi was trying to make to me, which I think I've I finally agree with uh, to some point, even, even though it's still an illusion, right? And that, that's the point I was arguing is it's still an illusion because you could have lots of views and you would still be you, but that's a hard, you know, hurdle to get over as a human. So anyway, this was basically about AI being used to perfect that process to avoid death. OPSEC versus unsubscribe phishing attacks. This is an idea I had as I was waking up yesterday. This is basically if, if you're the type of person who complains on Twitter about things you're like, oh, I hate Walmart or I hate Target or I'm never using Bank of America again or whatever. The way, the way that works in the marketplace is when you interact with a company, if you go into the store to like Best Buy or whatever, um, they register that obviously. And then they send you an email right afterwards because you know, you're there on your mind and they, they want to follow it up with some sort of additional sale or whatever. So because we all know as attackers as well, we all know that people get emails from companies after you physically interact with them. If you make a complaint on Twitter, about a given company, especially a brick and mortar store like Best Buy. Um, well, it's also online, but let's assume Best Buy. And uh, you know automatically that they are primed. This is automatic free priming to be ready to receive an email from that company. 
So you, you fire up a phishing email from Best Buy. You send it to them. And guess where you put the malware? You put it in the unsubscribe link. So they just tweeted out, I'm never going there again. They're the most idiotic people. They don't know anything about tech. You know, I've sworn off this company. Well, you send them a phishing email the very next day. Oh, thanks for coming in. Uh, we're very happy. And we want you to buy this TV. And they just aggressively, they find like the unsubscribe leak so fast and they hit it so hard. There's like, bam. And of course, that's where the malware is. So I thought it was a cool way to use open source intelligence. You could actually script up a, a tool to put it, you put in a target, you look for uh, top brand mentions and there's uh, APIs you could use for sentiment analysis. So you send the tweet <laughs> with the, uh, with the brand mention to the sentiment analysis algorithm. And uh, it tells you if it's positive or negative. So if you have a brand match with a negative, put that into a sorted curated list. And now you have a phishing uh, campaign uh, generator for a given target. So I thought that was uh, good. I don't know why I was thinking like that yesterday morning, but I was. All right, um, see here. No, the IRA, the IRA is not the same as ISIS. Uh, we're running long on this one. I'm, I'm not gonna go too deep into this one. Here's what I'll say about this. If you wanna compare two different bad organizations and you wanna see which one is worse, ask yourself this. What would the world look like if they had exactly what they wanted? They had all the power, they had all the money, they had all the weapons. What would, it, what would the world look like? The IRA, it would look like Ireland being free and there'd be no British people there telling them what to do. They could be Catholic, they could whatever, do Irish things and everything would be cool. Now, what about Britain? Would they still be there? Yes, they would. They would not be allowed to mess with them. They would be left alone by Britain, but they would still be there. What would the world look like if ISIS had its way? It would not look like that, right? It would be Sharia law for everyone. And, uh, and, and that's not hyperbole. That, that's the stated goal, right? That, that's actually what it is. And if you read this link, it's, it's very clear. So whenever you're comparing two goods or two bads, especially two bads, do that. Just, just extrapolate it out to what they're actually trying to achieve um, and actually what they would achieve if they had the power to do so. And that'll show you the difference between two things. All right, discovery. Uh, one of my favorite talks from Enigma about extracting private information from humans. This is insane. This is one of my other favorite talks from, from this conference. So in this one, um, I, I can't remember her name right now. I should have wrote it down, but she's a researcher out of, I think, Washington, University of Washington, maybe, maybe Portland. Feel bad, but, um, She's awesome. You should follow the link. You can find out all about her. But 
The research is about bio information being captured by electronics and it's specifically around these EEG. I'm not sure if it's an EEG. It's probably it might be the wrong name, but it's a head head harness deal that reads electrical signals coming out of the brain. And what it allows you to do is you put this thing on someone and while they are looking at the world, you can see their reactions by reading their brain responses and you could learn their preferences. Now that doesn't sound, if it sounds crazy to you already, or if it sounds crazy powerful to you already, then kudos because, because you get it. <clears throat> if not, then I forgive you because it, it does take some time. So imagine this, imagine, uh, a, like a boy, um, restroom icon holding the hand of a boy restroom icon. And so it's obviously like a homosexual thing, right? So it's like, you know, free love or, you know, everyone, everyone's equal or whatever. Imagine that you could show this to two different people. And on one side, it's the brain reads positive. And for this other person, the brain reads negative. And you do the same thing for race relations. You do it for religion. You do it for politics. You show them brands. And suddenly, after a couple of hours of showing them whatever, you've now built a profile of what this person likes. It's also how to influence them. It's also blackmail. It's also it can be used for all sorts of stuff. And the idea is, the thing she was pointing out is when you are capturing data like this about someone, you need to be very careful what you're doing with this stuff because it's not about the questions that you're answering or that you're asking and the answers that you get from them because we don't have the knowledge yet to ask good questions and get good answers. We're barely starting to even just think about these things. But if you have the raw data, if you know the, the input that came in and you have the raw data of what came out, that is a mine. It's a gold mine of information going perpetually forward. The more we learn going forward about how to read that input or that output, the, the more powerful it becomes, right? We could, we could learn something five, 10, 20 years from now and go back to previous data that we had and sort of just unlock what that person was thinking or feeling or, or, you know, the intuitions that they had about what they were seeing. So, um, th this applies not just to brain activity. This is all sorts of stuff. It's heart rate. I mean, I talked about a while back, there's a, there's a wireless technology that, that shines or, you know, blasts inside of a room. And it's watching someone sitting in a chair and it could see their face. It could see their facial expressions. Machine learning knows what their emotion is because of that. But not only that, it's watching their heartbeat inside their chest from the motion, from like Doppler basically. And I'm pretty sure it's a Doppler type deal. It's, it's how it's the bouncing 
it's the mo the, the difference in the response um, of of the radio wave compared to the motion of the chest and and the shirt and that sort of thing. So we could tell your heartbeat. You tell your heartbeat. It can see your face. Let's say it's scanning your brain. Let's say you're wearing one of these things. Whatever reason, whatever bio data is coming out of you, combined with the input that it knows you're seeing. Well, now it's reading you. It know, it knows what you're thinking. It knows what you're doing, to whatever level of of fidelity, right? But that's just fascinating. And and the whole point of her talk was know that this is happening. Know that it's happening. Oh, she built this game. This is crazy. She built this game, like Flappy Whale, I think she called it. And it's like a blue sky, and then water, and then a whale. And then you're supposed to watch the whale or whatever. But subliminally, she was flashing Starbucks icons. And they would stay for, like I think, like 200 milliseconds, I think she said. And so now, not only... <laughs> Now, not only are you reading the reactions, but you're changing reactions in a way that the person doesn't even know. It was just a brilliant talk. You absolutely have to go see this link. Um, all right, next one. Insightful post about Benedict Evans on the effects autonomous vehicles will have on cities. This is, I think he called it like second and third order effects of autonomous vehicles. Really interesting stuff. It's like how much of a city is based around cars and lots of them. Traffic jams, parking uh, parking places, parking garages. What happens when you don't need those? Really cool posts. You should uh, definitely check it out. Fantastic talk by Ian Haken, Haken of Netflix on securing secrets at scale. That's the one I talked about above. A uh, good write-up of the changes in iOS 10.3. Foursquare is now offering a brick-and-mortar foot traffic and not analytics product. If you thought they died a long time ago, Foursquare, they, yeah, you're not alone, but they definitely didn't die. They basically turned into a data provider company, and they've been doing quite well, I understand. Uh, the Gruck did a piece on Russia's continuing information campaigns in France, Germany, and elsewhere. Uh, list of considerations for choosing a good personal VPN provider. This is really important with all this ISP stuff. So uh, Brian Krebs did an article on basically not all VPNs being the same and how to pick a good one. So uh, definitely have a look at that if you're hunting for a good VPN solution because they're not all the same. A remarkably good CNN documentary called Vladimir Putin, The Most Powerful Man in the World. Carnegie Mellon's breakdown of cyber intelligence analyst skills. It's got like a really cool matrix of like all the stuff you should be good at. A deep learning Python environment in a fully contained VM. So this this thing allows you to do like image recognition and like, is this a cat picture or not? But it's doing like all the different Python tools and the data sets, and they're all inside a VM. So you can learn how to do this stuff. I have this tab open, I'm gonna be messing with this. 
really wish, man, I wish Ruby was in the game, but they're not. They're just like not in the game because Python like told them they couldn't play. Send them home. All right. Use this link to delete voice and audio conversations that Google has of yours. And thanks to uh, Robert Hansen for that, Arsenic. A study showing 77% of the Alexa top 5,000 use at least one vulnerable JS library. Those are scary numbers. Curious how vulnerable though, and like what level of vulnerability there. Uh, super clean class on reversing malware. This thing is like, oh, I have this tab open. It looks so great. It's set up like a formal course and it's got like seven different sections or whatever, but it's just really good class style for um, malware reversing. And now some tools, uh, DHCP, oh, DHCPIG, I get it. Uh, DHCP exhaustion tool for DOSing a network. Oh yeah, this is crazy. So basically it figures out who has addresses. It releases all those addresses. Then it re requests all the addresses that the server will give out. And then it kills those. So basically it fully exhausts and uses all, kills off all those that exist. So basically no one can get on the network anymore and the network just goes down. I thought that was, uh, I don't know, admirable in a nasty sort of way. Inquisitor, an OSINT gathering tool for companies and organizations. This is written by my buddy, John Penyafiel. Super smart um, developer, hacker dude. And uh, yeah, I was reading about the tool, just, you know, doing research for the podcast. And I'm like, this looks cool. And I'm like, John, what? John? So I text him. I'm like, dude, you made a tool. It's pretty cool. I uh, still have the tab open. He sent me some uh, additional instructions for the docs, which I'm going to be going through later. Might do an additional write-up. Uh, Autosynt. It's like auto-osynt. These are cute. Um, a tool to automate common OSINT gathering tasks. Got this tab open as well. Osinato, a network traffic generator and analyzer. I like this analysis here. Re Wireshark, but in reverse. So we can actually put out traffic of different types. Squid Magic, analyze web-based network traffic for signs of malware. Mimi Penguin, a tool for dumping the login password from the current Linux user. Noisy, with an S and a Z, Noisy, a plugin that generates massive amounts of browsing noise to make it harder for people to know what you're actually doing if they're observing you. And InfoSec Awesome Lists, a collection of online courses, academic courses, labs, CTFs, books, video playlists, other awesome lists, and more. Absolutely remarkable collection of, of different InfoSec stuff. Um, yeah, this is one of my favorite links in this list here and uh, WP force a WordPress attack suite. Like you really need any help with that. 
All right, notes. Still reading Homo Deus. I just started part three tonight, which is uh, chapter eight. And this chapter is so incredibly good. I recommend, I want to upgrade my recommendation for this book to like the highest level. This is like red, right? Upgrading the must read this book level to red. Um, Nobody knows what red means, but it just means you should read the book. Um, It is so incredibly good. Um, I know you probably have a book list already. You should put this at the top of it. Even consider pausing your current book. That's how good this book is. Still working on the OSINT primer. Keep finding more tools and adding them and just like second guessing and thinking more about organization. So it's going a little bit slow, but uh, I'm still plugging away at it. I asked Twitter what TV I should be watching since I've not watched anything since Westworld. And the answers included The Expanse, Rick and Morty, Last Week Tonight, Chef's Table, Blacklist, Preacher, and a show called 3%, which evidently is similar to my article about alphas and betas. If you have any other recommendations on good TV, like TVs that that's the quality of a, of a good book, right? That's kind of my standard. Uh, I would appreciate those recommendations. You probably don't need O'Day defenses, threat intelligence, or AI powered socks. Focus instead on asset management, patching, limiting admin on workstations, logging, monitoring, and response, DNS hygiene, and egress control. That's my recommendation. Basics, fundamentals, blocking and tackling. It's the way to go. And the aphorism for this week. I prefer the errors. I prefer the errors of enthusiasm to the indifference of wisdom. Anatole Francais, I think. I prefer the errors of enthusiasm to the indifference of wisdom. Anatole Francais. All right, that was a long one. Hope you enjoyed it, and I'll see you next week. All right, thanks again for listening. And don't forget that you can get the show notes for this episode, including the links to everything mentioned in the companion newsletter at danielmiesler.com slash newsletter. And if you like the show, please share it with a friend or on social media. I'll see you next time.